Welcome to ReChurch. I'm Marshall Fant, the Director of Church Consulting and Strategic Planning for Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. My purpose is to encourage pastors and church leaders as you refocus, renew, and revitalize your churches. We've established this podcast to offer practical tips and suggestions as you equip disciples to make disciples. Welcome back to ReChurch, and this is our second podcast with Rachel and Joseph and my wife, Gretchen. So welcome to all of you. Thank you for joining. Thank you. And we left off last time, if you were have not heard the podcast, about when the world comes to you. Mm. So, Joseph and Rachel, a quick review. Uh, you lead an international ministry. Mm-hmm. Basically, a state university mm-hmm. is the outreach. Mm-hmm. You have this every Sunday morning, a yeah. class. Mm-hmm. But also, just briefly describe the Friday night activity. Mm-hmm. So, our outreach is local church-based. want to make that very clear. We don't uh, operate apart from the local church. We're based at our local church. Friday nights, we invite folks into our home, Mm -hmm. mostly internationals. Some Americans come as well. My wife cooks usually an Indian meal, and after the Indian meal, after fellowship, we study the Word. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's in a gist what happens on Friday night. Yeah, I think in our last podcast, you said you're Indian, Mm -hmm. you're from India, Mm -hmm. and Rachel, you're an American. Mm -hmm. So y'all have a cross-cultural family. That's Mm -hmm. right. And you minister Mm -hmm. cross-culturally every week. That's just what you do. Mm -hmm. We just had dinner. We had a a cross-cultural meal. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you even had someone coming in the door to sit down and eat from your international class as we were finishing up to record this podcast. So where we want to go today, I came up last time, and and the verse that I always think of is in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, where... The Word of God talks about how He has redeemed people Mm. through His blood. Mm. And here's the phrase, out of every tribe and tongue and nation and and people group. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to one stat you quoted Mm. on our last podcast, that one out of every 300 people. Would Mm. you repeat that for the listeners? One out of every 300 persons in the United States is reported to be an international student or a visiting scholar, somebody in the U.S. from another country with the express purpose of studying in the U.S. And and I think Rachel pointed out last time that the key to this is these are all leaders. They're Mm -hmm. already leaders. Mm -hmm. So they'll go back Mm -hmm. into their countries as leaders in whatever their field of Mm -hmm. study may be. Absolutely. So this is really your your ministry. Mm -hmm. All right, so Mm -hmm. what we want to talk about is you know, I'm, I'm Western. Okay, I have the Western mindset. Mm-hmm. But you brought it so interesting, and we put it off to this podcast, mm-hmm. of really engaging the gospel mm-hmm. with a person from an Eastern mindset. Mm-hmm. And I think this is commonly called the honor-shame culture. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I just want to spend the rest of this podcast just letting you and Rachel and, and Gretchen's also work with internationals. Mm-hmm. If y'all, Joseph, just give us a little history. What does that look like? And okay. Tell us the difference of how... I think as a Western mm-hmm. versus someone coming in mm-hmm. with an Eastern context. Okay. As, as you mentioned, for a listener's sake, I'm from India. I'm an Indian. Grew up for the first 22 years of my life in India. Came here as a graduate student and have been here for the last 15 years. So I understand the Eastern mindset. I want to start off with a common question 
that people ask in evangelism. Okay, just to give you an idea about how an Easterner who is maybe part of another religious context hears this common question we ask during evangelism or in evangelistic outreach. We ask, do you know for sure, do you want to know for sure that when you die, that you'll yeah. go to heaven? Right? Most common question. Yeah. Very common question. So here are the assumptions a Westerner makes when this question is asked. First, that there is heaven, that there's a God, and that heaven is different from earth, right? Because in some religions, heaven, earth, they're all one mm. in pantheism, mm. right? right. Okay. So, so there's that assumption that heaven is not automatic, but it's somehow conditional, mm. right? Mm. And then in asking a person, do you want to know for sure? We're making the assumption that that decision can be made at, on an individual basis. Whereas in many Eastern cultures, these important life decisions are made in context with the group. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. So this is just to give, give you some idea as to how an Easterner hears this. And also the, the questioner kind of assumes an air of superiority because it's assumed that they know that the answer for them is yes, but perhaps the answer for the person they're speaking to is no. So mm -hmm. can be a little off-putting there. Right. Yeah. Right. So in an Eastern context, there might be better questions to even broach this topic of salvation. For example, do you think that there is a path to God? Hmm. Do you think there is a way to reach God? Who might know the way, right? So these are... All right, so let me stop. So yep. you're asking questions mm -hmm. instead of making statements. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're immediately engaging this, as we all should, regardless of culture. Mm. But especially with this mindset, because this will lead you down a certain way, right? That's Is right. That correct. Okay. That's, and, and that's something we have learned. There's an excellent book that I've benefited from called Questioning Evangelism hmm. by Randy Newman. And his premise is questions are a great way to build relationships, to understand and calibrate yourself hmm. and your listener. Uh, and we find this immensely useful in our ministry, both one-on-one -on -one and during teaching, because we have so many different uh, backgrounds represented. We have atheists, we have pantheists. Yeah, this is on any Sunday morning this or, is or any Friday night in your that's home. Right. Mm -hmm. All right, that's so right. So go ahead. I just want to set the context. That's right. So we ahead. have people from China, for instance, who come from an atheistic background. We have people from India who may believe in multiple deities, mm -hmm. uh, right? People from uh, Islamic backgrounds. Right? So, in order to effectively engage each of these people, mm -hmm. questions we're finding are very useful. And if, in fact, I, you know, I, I was curious once and did a study in the Gospels. It's interesting that the Lord asked questions. Yes. Repeatedly. Mm -hmm. He asked the Samaritan woman a question. He asked the Pharisees questions when they initiate a, a question. So I think another 
great benefit of asking questions instead of shooting propositional statements. Right. It tells your listeners that you want to hear from them. So do you just ask the question and then listen, right? Yeah. But it doesn't stop there, right? I think some Westerners, they may feel that if they respond with biblical truth, maybe that's offensive, mm-hmm. right? And, and sometimes they, they feel, uh, oh, maybe I'll come across as imperialistic, colonialistic, as offensive. I think for us as believers, we can be confident that we have access to God's truth. Amen. And so what I'm arguing for here is dialogue. And we see this even in the book of Acts. Paul not only Mm. preached like we would be exposed to on a Sunday morning, time and again in Acts, the word used is dialoguing. Mm. Paul engaged in dialogue. And we find in our ministry that that dialoguing is uh, an effective way, but it takes time and it takes a willingness to listen. And I think what you picked up the last podcast, and Rachel, you may have mentioned this, well, Gretchen had some of it. When they come to the United States, they may be more open mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. a dialogue right. mm-hmm. without all the pressures of family or background or whatever they were working in. Right. So mm-hmm. when they come to us, it's a perfect opportunity to establish this dialogue. Now, Rachel, let me ask you a question. Do sure. you, as you're engaging the ladies, mm-hmm. do you find different, I'm not sure with the Eastern mindset, do the women come in different contexts than the men? Mindset. Yeah. Mindset, um, thank you. I mean, mindset. some of that is very similar, but I do think, particularly when we're ministering to people from Eastern cultures and from more traditional cultures, there are special dynamics that give us special opportunities with the women. It works better women to women and men to men. Their cultures aren't traditionally set up where it would be very comfortable for a man to speak to a woman. Um, So we do, and you engage on a lot of the same things. You know, it starts out with conversations just about our children or about what we're cooking or about house care. A lot of those things feel a little different to them when they come over here, so that's a good place to start. And then we find out where their needs are and the Bible addresses those needs. So we naturally find places where we can connect, Mm. Um, but often it comes from just normal everyday conversations. Mm. And I know it's sometimes overwhelming to talk to somebody from such a diverse background that we're unfamiliar with, but honestly, when you boil it all down, it starts with the same things you would talk about with any other mom at a play group or any other student who's working through all the difficulties of getting to know an advisor and those kinds of things. But with internationals, there is a gender dynamic Mm -hmm. that is very emphasized in that women tend to speak with women, Mm -hmm. men tend to speak with Mm -hmm. men. And so, and do you find that on Friday night in yes. the fellowship? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. It's, uh, it's funny oh, it how is, yeah. often yeah. you look in my in our home. We have a dining room and a kitchen, and generally, one of those rooms is all the men, and uh-huh. the yeah. other yeah. room has all the women. Uh, yes. It's kind of like it's not exclusively no, that, right. that but, way, but there is a sort of silent force yeah. <laughs> that polarizes yeah. the, sure. the the group. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, Gretchen, if you just talk about this a minute, when you were teaching the ladies mainly Chinese ladies uh, using English as a second language. Mm -hmm. 
there were certain needs that these ladies had as women, such as doctors. The doctors, I mean, I mean, yes, and things breaking in their home, mm -hmm. things like that, yes. And where they'd, they'd be more comfortable talking to you. Right, and they would come and, we, to, and yeah. we would go over the vocabulary. What would you use when you go to the doctor's office if you need to ask yeah. the doctor? And we'd go over vocabulary. But a lot of what you're saying, I really think, is good practice, whether mm -hmm. we're Americans yeah. or internationals. Yeah. Yeah, the dialogue. I mean, the whole yeah. thing of asking yeah. questions, yeah. the whole thing. And you know, I've noticed in a lot of our American churches, the men and the women tend to, and mm -hmm. it's not because there's some kind of stigma of talking to a man necessarily. It's just kind of a natural thing. So mm -hmm. I found in working with them that you really discover that you're very much alike mm -hmm. that we're all very much alike mm -hmm. at the core yeah. mm -hmm. although I do think when you talk about presenting the gospel the honor sham there's a real difference there mm -hmm. in the way they perceive mm -hmm. our specific questions right so that's what mm -hmm. I want to circle mm -hmm. back yes. to okay so Joseph and Rachel explain honor shame mm -hmm. for our listeners what is that yeah this should be common knowledge, uh, but the Bible is primarily written in an honor-shame context. Mm -hmm. It's culturally closer to us as Easterners than it is to you as Westerners. Mm -hmm. So honor-shame means several things. First, in an honor-shame culture, the primary value is individual and or social collective honor. Also, okay. So going back to the question we asked in our evangelistic right. uh, outreach mm -hmm. scenario, do you want to know for sure that when you die you're, you're going to heaven? And in an honor-shame context, a person who's listening to that would immediately think, what about my parents? Okay. Mm -hmm. What about my group? I'll be betraying my group. How can I go to heaven without them? Yeah. I remember... It'll bring shame to our... Oh, if you bring shame, what yep. were you saying now? It'll, it could bring shame to me yes. or to my family my or family. to our social group. So where we think individualistic, mm -hmm. you think more family, more community. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. That's right. Going. right. Second thing, Western culture tends to be guilt-oriented. Do you want your, your sins, your individual sins, forgiven before a holy and just God? Mm -hmm. That's very biblical. However, in the honor-shame context, the focus is on the relationship. Mm -hmm. Do you want your relationship restored? Mm -hmm. Not only with God, not only the vertical component, but also the horizontal mm -hmm. component. Now, interestingly, the Bible speaks to both these paradigms. Yes. In Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, Paul actually quotes from the Psalms and, and, and uses the idea of shame. Mm -hmm. He who believes in the Lord will not be put to shame. Mm -hmm. So both these ideas, both these paradigms are included in Scripture. Mm -hmm. So one thing I encourage friends, American friends, who are interested in reaching out cross-culturally is let the Bible speak. Mm -hmm. There's no need to, to go to seminary or go to university and get a cross-cultural degree. The Bible in itself right. is naturally tense to an honor-shame reading. So letting the Bible speak. So for us, what we found in our Sunday times, we are either in one of the Gospels or Acts. We have selective passages in the Gospels, and we inductively read 
through the passages. We let people share their observations, and usually they are very much in line with first century Jewish context because they're they're seeing it, they're imagining it from an honor shame context. All right, so let me set the stage. I mean, I've been in your Sunday school class, but you have again all tongues, all tribes, mm-hmm. all people groups there, yeah. male and female. Mm-hmm. You have believers and unbelievers. That's right. And I've even seen you call upon unbelievers That's and ask them to read and, and give. And I've even then heard you say, okay, now, sister so-and-so, you are a believer. Right. How would you answer that? Yeah, how would you answer right. that? Right. So I think it's amazing, you know, where <laughs> from the Western side, I'd say, whoa, I don't want to do that. Right. But the way you dialogue, right. the way you do that, and they're totally comfortable with that. Is oh, that yeah. fair? Yes, I mean, absolutely. You want to add anything to that on the Sunday morning class, the way you engage that way? I want to say this. Because I notice when you say, you always say, thus says the Lord, mm-hmm. or the Bible says, yeah. or mm-hmm. the Word of God. Yeah. Most of the time I've heard you, you yes. preface it with the authority that is of right. God's revelation that to is us. Right. Is that right. Be- because we want to communicate to our friends, mm-hmm. there's one God, and there's one set of parents no matter what your ethnicity is, mm-hmm. there's one mm-hmm. set of first parents. Mm-hmm. And so we all need to submit to this one God, right? So going back to your question on teaching, I think the Eastern mind tends to respond better to narratival preaching okay. versus propositional preaching. Mm-hmm. In fact, Jesus... Jesus' teaching was primarily parabolic, right? right? And he taught, you know, I wonder how he would fare in a Western seminary. (laughs) He'd probably get a bad grade, right? Because the Eastern mind thinks in analogies and stories and parables, and that is a legitimate way. In fact, I think as the West becomes less and less Christian, the church will probably need to grapple with how to go back to narrative, Mm. narratival Mm -hmm. teaching and preaching. Because propositional teaching assumes a lot of prior beliefs. Okay, Mm. so let me piggyback because it's a great segue. So Gretchen, briefly explain when you had Chinese ladies, the answer you found to be able to to go back to what Joseph was saying, so you actually found the material that you took back to the to the beginning. You went back to Genesis, right? Right, right. We didn't start that way. We started teaching verses, and we found that they could memorize verses, and they liked doing it, and they would teach their children, and they had no idea what, what they were, they and I just didn't know what to do, so I found the Creation of Christ, New Tribes Mission material, and actually pared that down in a 21-lesson workbook. And so we would start, and there's a really good section in that book that teaches you how to approach internationals. Mm -hmm. And so we started with Cain and Abel, with Genesis, with creation, Cain and Abel. Instead of saying he disobeyed God, we'd say, no, he did not come according to God's ideas. He came according to his own ideas. And so we were very careful not to give the idea of a kind of legalist. went to the foundation. Went to the foundation and then described the sacrifices and the lamb and all that. And then we would go over to John when he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And they made that connection of Christ and the sacrificial lamb. And Joseph and Rachel, Rachel, you may want to come to this, but even our culture today, like Joseph mentioned, where the more non-Christian we become, Mm -hmm. you know, lamb, what 
Yeah. Right. I mean, Lamb of God, what is that? Yeah. Okay, so... Well, and um, when I first started learning to interact with internationals, I read a number of books, but the Creation to Christ has an excellent introduction mm-hmm. that's super helpful um, in the beginning of the first book. But the Green Book. The yes, right, the, the Green, green Book. book. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But the other book that I found extremely helpful is um, Dwayne Elmer has written, I think, three different books, but one of his books is called Cross-Cultural Conflict, and he discusses the honor-shame dynamics and how they work through conflict in ways that don't necessarily remove the honor of the individual they're working with. And then at the end, he beautifully explains how all of that relates to the gospel when we discuss and and try to introduce people from that kind of context to the gospel. And to me, that was very, very powerful. It opened my eyes to the gospel in a way that I had never seen before because I'd heard the gospel many, many times throughout my life, but always from a Western context. And so to see how the gospel beautifully fit into this honor-shame context of the people that God was putting a love in my heart mm. to minister to was just really, really powerful. The to name me. of the book again that was? That book is Cross-Cultural Conflict, and it's by Dwayne Elmer. Dwayne Elmer. Fantastic right. book. Joseph, we got about three or four minutes. How can you wrap this up? Do you have another book that meant a lot to you? Mm-hmm. you? Would you give the name of that book to kind of help people get equipped? Yep. So a couple books. One is Evangelism in a Skeptical World by Sam Chan is his name. I mentioned uh, Questioning Evangelism previously by Randy Newman. One book my wife and I would highly recommend for anybody interested in venturing cross-culturally. I like the way you word that, venturing. (laughs) (laughs) Whether, Whether in the US, whether abroad, is a book called Foreign to Familiar. It's very short. Sarah Lanier is the author. She does a great job of sensitizing readers mm. to cultural differences okay. without putting down cultures. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, what one obstacle we as conservative, Bible-believing, theologically orthodox believers face, I think there sometimes can be the notion that if we in any way modify the traditional message, mm-hmm. we're compromising biblical truth. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes yeah. people refuse to even consider, when I say, would you be interested in wanting to go to heaven, right? right. When I yeah. say that, how is it coming across, right? What we're talking here is legitimate contextualization. Okay. Can you repeat that phrase, legitimate? Legitimate contextualization. So in my, in my Southern English, that's putting the gospel in a way they can understand it from their background. That's Is right. That, okay. That's right. That's right. And so two things I want to mention to encourage pastors, wives, uh, who are interested again in venturing for the Lord cross-culturally are, one, showing the Lord Jesus Christ from the scriptures. Mm. When I was a teenager in India, you know, went to public school, I was a minority, began to question, I grew up in a Christian family, but began to question, why am I a Christian? Why do I live differently? So you were religiously a minority? Yes. Okay. Yes. I remember encountering the Jesus of the Gospels, mm-hmm. reading the Gospels and realizing this Jesus is not only a man, he's also an Easterner. 
and I could relate to that. Okay. You know, E. Stanley Jones was a famous missionary to India, was a friend of Mahatma Gandhi, and debated Hindu philosophers all across India. He said this, and I think this is, we've found this true in our ministry. It's hard to argue against the person of the Lord Jesus. Mm. Mm. And I think when our international friends, what we try to do is expose them to the Jesus of the Bible, mm -hmm. right? And let them adapt it to their culture, right? Mm -hmm. The second thing I want to say is let the Word speak. Amen. The Word, God mm -hmm. has sovereignly overseen that His Word be recorded in a way that it speaks to every culture. The hindrances when we try to bottle it up and package it in our cultural framework. Right. Instead, exposing, to use this analogy, to taking people as close to the Bible as possible. Right. Letting the Bible speak, I think, is, is more effective than trying to get it down into a, a gospel tract size message and, right. you know, so the so danger. The students that there. you have normally hear how long? What kind of window? If they're master students, two years. Okay. If they're PhD students, about five years. And the visiting scholars often much less than that. Mm -hmm. Six, Six months, months or a year. So as you said, you mainly stay in the Gospels mm -hmm. and Acts. Yes, that's right. In your class. For Sunday teachings. Right. And then on, 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 on Friday, Friday, we do topics. For example, we'll do a whole semester on suffering the Christian view of suffering. Okay. This semester, we're doing a whole semester on the life of Joseph. All right, wow. Okay, let me just, because we've got to wrap this up, but how do you handle explaining Christmas, Easter, or is that another whole podcast? <laughs> I mean, how, how do you, are there certain things you bring families into your home to celebrate? That's right. That's the, right. the resurrection. Rachel, how do you do the Lord's yes. resurrection? Yes. Um, well, Resurrection Sunday, we try to do with the church, the larger church family, so that right. they get, to, that's a really special service for our church, right. um, which usually includes some special music and sometimes a baptism, sometimes communion, which are all things that we want them to observe. So okay. often we'll have a workshop before that where we talk about some of the proofs for the resurrection, talk about what we're celebrating here. So you prep them mm -hmm. for what, we do. For what mm -hmm. the biblical view is. And then we we do invite them to be part of a traditional mm -hmm. Easter lunch meal, um, like a family style meal okay. together after the service. But often that's part of the church worship right. mm -hmm. for that one particular. Because y'all do a meal each Sunday. We do. Each right. Lord's Day. Mm -hmm. That's right. All right, then at Christmas, well, mm -hmm. you're in a university town, so a lot of the university's gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the students? international students are usually around. Okay. So actually, summers and Christmas and things, uh, we actually we, kind of ramp up yeah. what yeah, we have, have going They on. have more time mm, and less right. pressure. That's okay. right. I just want to get that yeah. so people right. understand <laughs> yeah. you really yeah. can take advantage of this. Yeah, That's we good. really try to do that, summers okay. and Christmas and things. Yeah. Thank you for your time. No problem. Gretchen, thank you. Yes. Rachel, thank you. Joseph, thank you. I've learned a lot, and I trust a lot of churches will be motivated and encouraged and start praying, Lord. Yes. Would you have us to reach this Amen. as every tribe and tongue and people group are yeah. coming to us? Amen. Praise thank you all Lord. very much. Sarah Hartwig, thank you for all you do in putting these podcasts together. Listeners, thank you for taking the time to listen through this cross-cultural ministry, and I pray that it will be a blessing to you. If you have any questions, you can email me at mfantmfant at gfamissions.org. Thank you all. You're listening to ReChurch. 
a podcast of Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. If you would like more information about our ministry or how we may assist you and your church, visit us at gfamissions.org slash consulting.